0: Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. My heart's been heavy this week, so I want to share. It's going to take me a couple of weeks to unpack this, and that's okay, however long it takes. Uh, but let me start. Lord, I pray now, Lord, that we not, may not say things satisfying to everyone, but I ask now that the word would pierce hearts with truth. And Lord, I thank you that Colossians, Paul tells us, that we're to make allowances for each other's faults and that love should prevail. So I pray now, Father, in the name of Jesus, that your word would pierce hearts and that we would be transformed by the renewed mind in the name of Jesus. I titled the message uh, for the next two weeks. If you don't have A bulletin, um, you might want to get one. There's a lot of info here. Um, You can bring it back next week. I've titled the message, The Interruption, The Shaking, and The Third Great Awakening. The interruption. Well, we've certainly had an interruption. The world got shut down. Never in the history has this, because of the transportation, able to go from one side of the earth to the other in a day, That transmission of that disease, even if you go and look at some of the other pandemics of the past, never like this. Every nation got hit. The world got shut down, and it opened the door, as Pastor Nilsa was sharing, to fear and despair. The shaking, the shaking's everywhere. This week, if you tuned in, there's a shaking going on. There's a new level of fear and chaos and confusion. What is all this? And the, 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 the demographics of this are just, there is a shaking. In fact, every institution is being shaking. The economies, religious institutions, family, government, the Constitution, police forces, communities, all the different voices that are just shaking So, we as believers should be asking the Holy Spirit, because James 1 5 says, If you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll share with you, right? So, as believers, we should be asking God, what are you doing? Or what are you allowing to happen? And then, what do you want me to do about it? What's my role? What's my assignment? I believe the answer in part, we've been told, if you've been around here at any length of time, we've done studies a lot on the end times, and I believe that the birth pangs are upon us. What Jesus told us in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13, when you start to see these things start to happen, you'll know that the bridegroom is near. And I believe what God is doing right now is he's preparing the remnant bride... He's preparing the remnant bride for the groom's coming. There's a separation. You know, we started this year, the first, uh, last week in December of this year, you know, I I asked the Lord to show us verses. And one was, we're going to see this year that everything will be built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. Everything that is not built on that cornerstone is not going to stand. A house that can't stand unless it's on that rock. And then it was the plumb line out of Amos, which mom keeps, you know, he's dropped the plumb line. It's that straight line. And those who have clean hands and pure heart will, will ascend the hill of the Lord, Psalm 24. That's what he's doing. That, we saw that in December. and It looks like everything that can be shaken that's not on the rock is shaken. So there's a prophetic revelation going on. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter one? I think this is a really, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12. I've got a King James and a New Living translation, the word for word from the 1600s and the New Living, which is the thought for thought translation of this era. And my Bible titles in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 14, it's titled, A Call to Listen to God. God, what are you doing? A Call to Listen to God. Verse 14, Hebrews 12, 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. It's a work. It's hard. Work at living a holy life. That's hard, unless you got the Holy Ghost. Right, Brenton? (laughs) For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out. This is critical and huge right now. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. That is a spirit of fear that is operating right now, an offense that's operating right now in our nation. And then let's drop down to verse Twenty-one. Moses himself was frightened at the sight that he said, "I am terrified at the trembling." This is when the Lord was shaking. None of you who came to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the countless thousands of angels that joyfully gather, you have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, whose names. Are written in heaven. You've come to God Himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven, who have now been made perfect. And you've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and His people. Verse 25 Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. Be careful, he's speaking. Look at verse 26, the second part. It says, once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only the unshakable things will remain. Verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom... That is unshakable. Let's be thankful and please God by worshiping Him with holy fear and awe. For our God is a consuming, devouring fire. He is shaking every institution. What a—it's wild. He said he'd shake the heavens. This week it started with we lifted astronauts up for the first time in ten years with U.S. rockets. Went—they're in—they're they're linked up with the space station right now. We've been paying the Russians $80 million for a ride the last 10 years. So, our nation, the heavens right now, that's like, wow, God, thank you for restoring that and exploration of that. But now he's shaking on earth. Some of the things we've seen this week are absolutely horrific. God is shaking everything that can be shaken. So, how do we as believers sort out the murder of George Floyd? How does injustice that we see, protests and violence and looting and destruction of whole city blocks burn to the ground? Police officers being killed, people crying out to defund police, murdering police, running over a police officer, hatred, confusion, chaos. What's the spirit behind all this? What is the spirit that's behind all this? A pastor from uh, Australia sent uh, a, a blurb. He said he was awakened and he saw over the United States two principalities, fear and hatred. And they were fighting. And he says, and every time they would uh, collide, there was chaos happening all over. But there was this white remnant bride that was on her knees. And every time she would get up, those principalities were pushed back. And he said, I warn the church. I I warn the remnant church of the United States. We in Australia, those in the other places of the earth, we're praying for you. But you, the remnant church, must rise and pray. We need a wall of prayer. This spirit... Of hatred we already know from first John he said if you hate your brother you're a murderer already but this is not a new spirit Nilsa started it. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear but power love and a soundness of mind right so the spirit of fear is given from the enemy this hatred that's moving all over the place we know what Jesus said in Matthew 12 Bind the strong man. You want to read about the best training that Jesus gave on deliverance? Read Matthew 12. You can't plunder the strong man's house unless you first tie him up. That's forgiveness. How do you forgive? No bitterness, no unforgiveness. That's one of the ropes that you tie around the strong man. Don't let bitterness spring up in your heart because the root of bitterness will defile many. It's trying to defile this whole nation right now. And we've got to stand and say, no, not on our watch, not this time. The riots of the 60s, I lived there. I remember being a little boy with my dad standing in a second-story window with a loaded 12-gauge shotgun because the people had come and said, we're going to kill you whiteys and we're going to burn your house and we're going to rape your women. And I'm a little boy scared, and my dad's standing there. I said, God help if somebody steps on the front lawn of our yard at night. That hatred that's been here, that spirit's not new. That spirit, let's go back and look at some scripture. This whole thing that's fear and hatred is masquerading right now under racism and discrimination. But make no bones about it. It is the spirit of fear and hatred, and it's got sisters that run with it. Jealousy. Pride, rejection, anger, unforgiveness, manipulation, control. You don't have to go too far in the Scriptures. Go to Genesis. Cain killed Abel. Why? He was jealous, and he felt the rejection. And God said, watch out. Watch out, Cain. Your anger, sin is crouching at the door. And he killed his brother out of jealousy and rejection. Jacob and Esau, jealousy and competition, Jew and Gentile. Jews wouldn't even go through Samaria because the half-breed Samaritans. You talk about racism? They wouldn't even be able to worship the same God. They had to have different places of worship. Jesus broke that. He went to the well, to the woman in Samaria. And they wondered, why is he talking to a woman? That's not even allowed. You let alone a Samaritan woman. And he prophesied her, and guess what? The whole town got saved. Yeah. How about Christians, Muslims, and Hindus in hatred? Jews, the Nazis, they're in, in during the World War II. The Arab and the Israeli conflict. This spirit is not white supremacy, KKK. It's the same stupid, ungodly spirit. Immigrants, undocumented immigrants immigrants that feel rejected and alone. This Bible in the book of Ruth says take care of them. Leave some of your field so they can glean from it. Christians in Nepal, my Christian family in Nepal, they're locked down and they're afraid because the Hindus have come to get them. This spirit is not a new spirit. How about the baby in the womb? You want to talk about death? You want to talk about murder? You may not like this, but listen. This spirit where choice, deception, a woman's choice gives no baby a choice. Where is life, liberty, and the pursuit? There. If you do the study, go ahead, look this up. Look up the name Margaret Sanger, S-A-N-G-E-R. Eugenics, 1916. The extermination of the African Americans. Do you know that her article in 1921, quote, the overall health and fitness of humankind through selective breeding, the most urgent problem today is to limit and discourage over-fertility Of the mentally and physically defective do you know that she believed that we should have reproductive controls let me give you some statistics 19 million of the 60 million babies aborted in the United States have been black black babies black women make up 14% of the childbearing age of women and yet, 36% of them make up the abortions. 474 abortions of the 1,000 live births are black. 79% of all the Planned Parenthood abortion facilities are within walking distance of minority communities. That is an atrocity. You want to get upset? Get upset of the spirit of murder that's going on in our nation. You wonder why God's pulled back his hand? Because we are a people that need to get on our face and humble ourselves. Now, you may be angry at me, but that's the truth. That's the truth. And we need to stand up and say, no more. When we stand in front of the facilities and say, look, this is not. And when 40 Days for Life, when Teresa and Mary Esternam come and say, look, let's stand. And women change their mind. This spirit of hatred and murder and deception is not new. Let me talk of a personal event of my own, several. I grew up with a Down syndrome brother. When my brother was born in 1953, I had four bro- I have three brothers. Two, uh, Jeff was two years behind me. He's in heaven now. When he was born during that period of the 50s, they would take retarded and put them in institutions so you wouldn't have to be bothered with them. When they came to my father and mother and said, we're preparing to have him transferred to a facility, my father and mother said, what? Not one of my sons will ever be placed in one of those facilities. <laughs> Growing up, when we would grow in the neighborhood, we want to play stickball and whatever, there were those that would come and say, no retard is playing with us. And I said, listen, if the... Houser boys are going to play, there's four of us. If Jeff's not playing, none of us are playing. And then the comments would come and the bloody nose and the fights would start. My brother grew up never knowing that there was a difference because he had a safe house. Something Ayers Burgess said to me this week. See, your brother and several grew up in safe places, but what if there's no safe place? What if you're growing up and there's no safe place? There's nobody that's an advocate for you. There's no one that's standing in the gap for you. There's no one that's willing to take the bloody nose for you. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's the place where we have to change the heart of the believers and the community. This is the place. Why do we do night to shine? Why do we do one night for the king? where we bring the churches together, black and white, on December 31st, and we pray together. And why do we have 400 special needs people join with four churches in February last four years? And all of us leave that place thinking, my God, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. Because why? Because black, white, Spanish, old, young, they're disabled. I love it. When my daughter Katie was growing up, a lot of the rejection she got was from the youth group in the churches we were in. I'm not here to embarrass you, Katie, but there's times when she'll be at home crying and said, they looked at me funny in the mall today because of the way I look. See, discrimination and hatred and rejection and that anger and that spirit, it doesn't matter where you're at. We just need somebody to stand in the gap. So what do we do, Pastor? Well, we're citizens of another kingdom. We're citizens of another world. We don't operate under the same system. We may live in it, but we don't, we're not in it for that. We're, we, we come to a third heaven of promise. So what are we to do, Pastor? Well, first thing we're supposed to do is march on your knees. Get on your knees and start marching. Join us today. Cry, cry out in your house if you've got some angst or you can't make it. Cry out. Get serious. Let me tell you this. I get really disappointed When we run a prayer meeting and only a few handfuls of people come, the degree of your prayer tells you the way and the emphasis of the Spirit of God that you place on the inside of you. If you can't pray and tarry, what did Jesus tell his disciples the the night he was being arrested? Can't you tarry with me one hour? Watch and pray. Watch and pray that you don't be tempted The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And they couldn't do it. They fell asleep. Church, arise. Wake up. Let me talk to you about unity. Unity is not uniformity. I want you to look around here. Look around here. A Nigerian black pastor and his family. Look around you. Look around. Spanish. We have 12 Spanish nations in our church. If we didn't have Miss Addie, if we didn't have Bill and Parthena, Tony, Evelyn, Spanish Church, Pastor William, we would not be as rich as we are. Now, do we agree? Do we have different? No, we don't agree on everything. You see, unity is not uniformity. In fact, it doesn't just tolerate yeah. unity, tolerate differences. It celebrates it. We don't have to agree. We, we agree about Jesus. We agree on Jesus. And if you don't love him and believe in him, you're not going where we're all going together. And guess what? I hate that terminology. I'm colorblind. Jesus is not colorblind. He created all the diversity. And he loves it. So if you, now here's the heart, and I've got, I'm preaching to myself because I've been leveled this week on some things. Unity in the spirit. We would be less of a people if we didn't have all this diversity. But we need to guard our hearts. Today, I want to reflect and I want to pull back maybe something in your own heart that God's been revealing to me. We've been advocates. You know, our, if you've been here any length of time, you know that part of our vision is to pastor a city. And that's not me like being the big pastor over the city. No, if there's an area of the city that needs help and they call for us, we go. I don't even need to pray about it. If that's the place, Lord, you, you called us there to help. But let me say some things. Guilt is not a strategy. Guilt over the past is not a strategy. Silence is not a strategy. Injustice is injustice, and I don't care where it is. To the disabled, to the broken, to the Native American, to the immigrant, to the African American. Now, what have we done? We haven't been a silent church. A couple of years ago, we marched. Reverse the curse, the 1898 curse. Break the Jim Crow defilement. We marched. We took over the land that had been where blood was spilled, and they threw the bodies of the black leaders into the river. We marched that, and we broke the curse. We took communion in the ground. Said, Lord, silence the blood of the broken. Last year, we had Take Back the Land. We had Matt Lockett and Will Fort. You see what's hanging on our walls that's still hanging on our walls? Martin Luther King had a dream. He had a dream. I have a dream. My family has a dream. The immigrants have a dream. The disabled has a dream. There has got to be a change in our hearts. I don't know how you're seeing abuse or how you're handling this. We've got people that are afraid, angry. When I saw the interviews, we need to kill cops. We need to get even with them. Do you think the cops that were killed this week, how about the black cop who was guarding, the ex-cop who was guarding the, pe- the, the, the pawn shop, killed and murdered? The cop that was run over who has a family and children? Don't you see the devil sitting back there laughing over this whole stupidity? Come on. How does this make sense? How stupid is this? We see the injustice, there's no one that can look at what that cop did and say, that's justice. That guy needs to go and face the maximum. And the three cops who stood there and let that happen, they need to face the maximum. Every injustice needs to be dealt with. I don't care where it is. But that's not every cop. In fact, this idea of defunding police, off police fu- are you nuts? Do you have any idea what will happen? We'll be back to vigilante law. The people that you call tonight when someone's in your backyard or breaking in the back door, they're the ones that show up. Yes, yes. Come on, let's wake up, church. What are we talking about? And listen to the ludicrous thinking of this. Because of the injustice of what we all watch I couldn't even watch it. I got sick to my stomach, eight and a half minutes designing to kill that man, begging for no. I couldn't watch it anymore. That's a murdering spirit. But how does the anger against that abuse of injustice justify the abuse of burning down and looting another innocent person's place? How does that make any sense? You're going to go after that because of that? That's foolish. Stupid. That's just the devil sitting back there saying, ha, 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 ha. And now we've got people have lost their homes, their livelihoods, their family loved ones, and the anger and the hatred and that's in them now against that has just bred another level of this. We've got to come and we've got to you got to ask yourself when you see another person, an immigrant, disabled person, black, a group of young black men, what goes on in your heart? What's there? Ask the Holy Spirit. James 1.5, Lord, I need wisdom here. Why is my heart afraid? Why am I uncomfortable right now? Hebrews 5.14 says this, the mature believers have trained their senses to discern good and evil. Yes, 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 yes. Let me be transparent for a minute. Next door, we just moved into a house. We downsized. Wonderful neighbors love our neighbors. African-American family next door, love them been over there, we've done some work in their yard, helping, love, pray. They, and yet, the other night, several young black men started to assemble, parking on their front lawn, right next to mine. And all of a sudden, I said, what's up with that? They were having a barbecue. <laughs> I'm telling you, you got to pull this veil back, and start asking yourself why. And I, I went over, I talked to one of the young ladies there. I said, good morning, I know her name now. Uh, good morning, and she looked at me like, and her mom, who's a believer, turned and said, he just said hello to you. See, it's on both sides of this. The stuff that goes on in the communities where they are not happy with white folks and all that, I've been, I've, listen, I got black blood, I got Mexican blood, I got, I got grandchildren, I got it all, okay? Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as my inheritance. When I prayed that, I had no idea they'd marry into all that. Right? So, but we got to pray and we got to ask God, what's in your heart? What's in my heart? What's in there? And then we got to break down these barriers. We got to have a conversation about what's going on. And I can't let the pain of my black and white brothers and sisters on both sides. I got to feel that pain. I just can't. Let's preach a nice feel good sermon and let's go home and forget about it. No. no, 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 no. We got to feel each other's pain. And we got to ask God to change my heart, your heart. We got to do some soul searching. I believe that Jesus went to the lepers, He went to the disabled, the demonized, the prostitute, the Gentile woman, the Samaritan woman, the tax collector, the poor. He went to all them. Men's group was really special this past Wednesday. We were on the verge of all that. Riots were people were getting. It was crazy. And we, the men gathered on the field and got the guitars out. And at one point, Tracy Isom who was the only black man there. said, Tracy, how are you feeling? And he shared his heart. I don't know how this will go, and, but I want to invite Tracy up to just share his heart this morning and I know he's being transparent. He's, yeah, he knew he was coming up. He was. I, I pray for him right now. And like I said, you may not like everything you hear, but it's okay. <laughs> you gotta love each other anyway. Amen.
1: Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Tom's really spoke on a lot of things that um, God has already shared with me. Um, and I guess I just want to start off by, you know, that was what I was going to start off saying. I'm, you know, looking at this thing over the last couple of weeks, I was surprised at the response from my brothers and sisters. It was shock and awe. And, um, you know, when we look at what's going on, what the Lord took me to, and and I really, I'm surprised at how this is affecting me. As a young black man, I'm naturally gonna be upset um, over everything that's going on. But this is really, like, this has really been breaking me down the last couple of weeks from like the deepest part of my heart. Uh, it, it extended more than just my race as a black man. It's been affecting me as, as a man of God is what I realized. And um, when I really began to just uh, search the Lord and just just put it, like, Lord, what's going on with me? Like, you know, I, I really didn't want to feel everything I was feeling. I really have just wanted to just dismiss it. And I've, it's been I've been on a roller coaster of, you know, just trying to embrace this and understand It's like, you know, I don't I got enough stuff of my own. I just really don't want to deal with this and and you know one you know that's where god took me and it's like why why am i surprised and god took me to second timothy um 3 1 it says you should know this timothy that in the last days there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be violent, puffed up with pride, and, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So, in that, it's just, you know, we're seeing, it's like Pastor Tom, we're seeing the end times, and we shouldn't be shocked by what, what is going on. Um, you know, another part of this that Lord has been dealing me on is identity. And I believe I have a, u- a unique identity in the perspective of everything that's going on. And, and first and foremost, that's my identity as a young black man. And uh, of course, seeing everything from that perspective and that identity which is what I was born into and what I always recognized myself as first and foremost in life. Um, It was challenging. I was angry and uh, very upset at at what I was seeing, and um, getting drawn into my emotions as a young black man because of what was going on, the incidents itself, and not just George Floyd, you know, all of it, and everything that's been going on. It took me back to times that I've had to deal with racism as a young black man, and it was a lot in anger. Um, But also, you know, it began to infect me for my identity as a young black man. I grew up in a small white town in Salem, New York. Um, My parents made a very bold move moving us up there. So as a young black man growing up in that community, I came up under a lot of, a lot of love of white Americans. You know, most of all my best friends are, are white guys. And there was a lot of women in that community that mothered me through a very broken and dark time in my age. So when I started seeing stuff on the news, that lady getting beat by, with two-by-fours, I, I just saw the face of so many beautiful white women that cared for me and my sisters and brothers in a very difficult time, and it broke my heart. Um, and I began to get angry at the black community, and it was just it, it was crazy. And, and then, you know, I left home, and I joined the military. I understand brotherhood as a, as a man of service. I have a lot of guys I serve with who are now in law enforcement. And um, so when I started to see Policeman attack, police stations burned. When I, I, I know the frustration and I understand the heart of servicemen When we respond to a situation totally focused on the point of I have to defend my brothers, I have to defend the code. So from being a black man to a young black man raised under in, in white America to a black man who became a patriot, who, 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 I would die for, this, for the flag, I would die for the nation. I don't believe in getting caught up in the politics and all those things, it's like I'm an American. And, and, and the oath that I made to defend this country against foreign and domestic threats, that's as serious to me today as it was the, the, the day I walked across Paris Island. So when I see policemen attacked and hit in the face with bricks, it was, it was devastating. And, and I was angry. I really, you know, you wanna respond. Um, So this is just, it just got really personal for me. Um, But then God reminded me of my identity in Jesus Christ. And as he did that, it put everything in perspective. You know, because right now, I'm at a stage in my life where I'll always be a black man. I always, I can't, I, I, I came up... I came up in Salem, New York, and 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 that part of my life will be a part of me as well. My military history and my 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 pride and service to brotherhood, that'll be a part always be a part of me. But superseding all of that for me right now is I'm a son of God. And um, The Bible tells us that our identity in Christ is part of accepting his gift of eternal life through faith. Jesus gave his life on earth and and rose from the grave to conquer death and sanctify those who believe in him. When we become followers and believers in Jesus, we lose our identity of this world and embrace our identity in Christ. Our identity in Christ is being a member of his holy body. Uh, First John 11, 14 says he he came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believe in him and accept him, he gave them the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passions or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Um, and, and one of my favorites, and this is from the Passion Translation, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything, everything, everything is fresh and new. The stigma of a, of a black man, a, a black man growing up in a white community, everything in my life was made new in Christ my position as a son of god supersedes everything in my life and that's who i have to be for those little boys that's the perspective that i had to begin to take in this whole situation that led me to i tell you what um and and when i got that revelation it broke me i'm telling you it broke me so bad i think it was tuesday or wednesday i try to spend time in my office get myself together go to work I was a train I was weeping weeping it, it, it scared me the way I was weeping I could not understand what was going on with me I called my one of my spiritual fathers uh, mr. Glover and just like you know I don't I, I'm really trying to understand I don't understand what's going on I mean I just went through that I got finally got myself together I called pastor Tom talked to him a little bit finally was able to get myself together go out to work I did not last an hour and God really began to deal me with me when I was working. And um, I just shut down, came home. Thank God Trina and the boys were gone. So I was home by myself. And in the midst of sitting in my house and just like, Lord, what is wrong with me? The Holy Spirit, Jesus, spoke to me and said, my heart is your heart. And in that instance, I believe what the Lord was telling me. He's like, I'm weeping right now. God's weeping over the whole thing. And, and I could relate as a man being in situations when life really punches you in the face and it just gets in you, and you go through this stage of just weeping over life and what is going on and how it's impacting you. God's weeping over the earth right now. But I also have experienced a back half of that where the, as a man, especially a man of God, when the weeping stops. You're ready to fix it. And you step into things with a a mindset and a tenacity to fix it. And God's going to fix it. He's coming. Um, But it's just, you, you know, God really dealt with me about how he's just weeping. And he's just not weeping over George Floyd. He's weeping over the police officer that had his knee on the man's neck. God's heart is breaking for that man. God's heart is breaking for the lady that's getting beat down in front of her store. God's heart's breaking for the black man that are beating her with a two-by-four. Because he just sees sin. He sees broken people. And I know the will of my father. His will is that all would be saved. That Derek Chavanaugh would be saved. That George Floyd would be saved. That all would be saved. Not some, but all. You know, and his, his heart's really weeping over everything that's going on and what he's he's seeing he's grieving over David Dorn he's grieving over the men that shot him and as Christians we really have to get in perspective we have to get connected with the Holy Spirit and we've got to get our hearts and see this thing from 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 the eyes and the heart of the father it has to take over our emotions and how we're thinking about things and how we're and and our thinking has to translate in how we're speaking about things You know, I refuse as a young black man to get caught up into this political view view as woe is me. Woe is is black people, it's a race war, it's a heaven and hell war. It's a sin war. I wanna share a, a little bit of a personal testimony of my own just because I wanna really give the perspective of what's being portrayed over the black community and young black men. Um, I shared that I grew up in New York and and without, I want to honor my family. It was, it was hard. You know, I grew up in a very abusive household. Seeing my sister raped and molested, chased out of the house. Me and my sisters and brothers were chased out of the house at gunpoint. Um, I remember days of being beaten where, when I went to school, I'm sitting sideways at my desk because, you know, I'm in pain. Um, because there's this stigma over the black community that we have taken on a certain identity and a DNA has been inherited into us because of fatherness, because of brokenness. There's all these reasons why the black community stays in the state it does. I get it, I understand. My point to sharing some of the, my past and growing up I know what it means to grow up fatherless I haven't talked to my dad in years Um, and I don't know what's worse having a dad that just chooses not to be there or having a dad that's there but chooses not to be a part of your life either way I know what it's like to grow up fatherless um... carrying all that grief for many years it was such a roadblock you know I had a very stellar military career but at every turn in my life, at everything I was doing, I, I seemed to hit this point where the baggage of my past would take over. Yeah. And it would just get destructive. And I'd destroy my own life. Yeah. And people are true. I think, you know, father'sness is huge in the black community. And um, it's, it's a big problem. You know, I got out of the Marine Corps and toting all those bags around, I made bad decisions. <laughs> I had my problems with law and, and, and breaking the law. I've had encounters with law enforcement that wasn't good. And I, I remember two encounters where it was excessive because I was black. I don't know any other way to say it. Um, I've had times since I've been married to my wife where, I believe the system was hard than what it should have been. And I believe it was because I was black. The point is, as a young black man, I put myself in situations where I could have leaned on the system and said, racism. I'm not getting what I deserve. Um, And I have a reason. Because of my fatherness, because of my brokenness, because of my past. I have a reason for my conduct and actions. And because of what my people have been through, those reasons are justified. And I could have leaned on politics or government, I could have leaned on a lot of things and been in instances where I could have have stood on the side of injustice and racism. I believe the difference, I know the difference in me and a lot of young black men my age is choice. I have been in a situation and I sat there and I contemplated choosing the other path. Choosing the path of you know what, I'm a young black man, I've been through a lot, the system is not treating me right. And in the midst of contemplating that, I chose the other path. I chose to get on my knees and say Lord help me I chose to come under the conviction of my my own choices my own conduct and my own action and I didn't ask God to fix the government I didn't ask him to change laws I said Lord you got to fix me you have to fix me because I just I couldn't live the way I was living anymore um, and God showed up he showed up and uh, he did everything he promised, you know, and I just believe, and I'm, what I'm seeing today, and I just want to speak directly into the, the black community and young men, we all have a choice, and um, right. the fight that is in front of, I think, you know, I'm not going to speak into the fight of racism. I want to say the fight we have in front of us to transform hearts and lives, to transforms communities. It's not going to be one trying to change laws. It's not going to be one trying to pin blame on law enforcement or politics. It's going to be one by black men of influence who have chosen the right way, who have chosen to submit their heart and life to God, getting back into our own communities and holding young black men accountable. That's where the fight's going to be won. That's where the difference is going to be made. That's where the difference is going to be made for all these young black girls growing up without, you know, having kids and don't have a father there. You know, I spent the weekend watching professional athletes, men of influence, and, you know, speaking and coming together. And I watched the message from T.D. Jakes, and he spoke on it, the DNA of our people and how... We are under this stigma in society of because of fatherness and because of brokenness that we can't stand and we have to put the burden on our government. We have to put the burden on the white community to bring about change. Change started in my life by my choice by my choice, by my decision. It didn't start by Steve Lambros coming into my life. It didn't start by Pastor Tom coming into my life and trying to save me. It started by me making a choice for Jesus Christ. And when I turned to Jesus and began to walk towards him, he put Pastor Tom in my life. He put Steve Lambros in my life. He put Pastor Willie in my life. He began to bring spiritual fathers alongside of me and remove the weight of fatherness. I wasn't without my mother, but he put Ms. Hauser in my life who grabs my face like a mother and gives me the love of a mother every time she sees me, Miss Evelyn. So I just speak to the, to the black community. I speak to the black leaders. I speak to black men of influence. We, this, this fight we have, if we're going to make it about change in the black community, just like it starts with every individual whether you're white, you're black, or you're Hispanic, change starts within your heart. And it affects the way you're thinking, it affects the way you're speaking, it, isp- it, it changes the, the, the people and places and things you, you, you put yourself around. We have too many young black men, ch- because of their choice, putting themselves in harm's way, putting themselves in the path of racism, putting themselves in violent situations. And I just believe, you know, we have to start preaching a message of accountability, a message of choice in the black community to young black men. You don't have to stay where you're at. You don't have to do the things you're doing. And it hasn't been easy for me. I can testify when me and Trina got married. It's just eight years ago. You know, I had a choice to make. And it was hard when we first got married. It was hard trying to take on the responsibility of being a father. I remember losing everything I had. Trina took me anyways. (laughs) God bless her. And in the process, and she doesn't know this to this day, I really contemplated going back to some people and doing some things to try to make money. And it's just like, I just got to get some breathing room. There again, I made a choice. I went and worked for a couple of white guys, Um, and they were country. Up on a, working for these guys, up on a roof, working hard. Fell off the roof, hurt myself very badly. These guys put me in the back of a truck, drove me to where Trina was working at, dumped me on the sidewalk and left. I My, my L3, my L4 vertebrae fracture, I tore my shoulder out of the rotator's cup. It was, it was a horrible experience. Honestly, Speaking truth and being transparent, if I were a white guy, I think they would have handled it differently. I don't know any other way to say it. You know, but there again, in that moment, I remember laying on that couch in that little apartment we lived in at the time, just like, Lord, you know, what is going on? But there again, I had a choice. I had a choice to take the side of self-pity and woe is me, or I had a choice to look right into the heart of God and say, Lord, you got to help me. And again, God showed up, you know, and it wasn't easy. And I want to just, young black man, it's not going to be easy, you know, but God healed me up. I I was able to get a good job. It wasn't making a lot, 10 bucks an hour, but I had to go out and do construction during the day. And I was going down to Riceville Beach to work in that restaurant at night till one o'clock in the morning for a long time. But as a young black man, I had a choice and a responsibility to lead my family. I had a choice every day to get up and trust God, who's not a magic wand, who just didn't tap my life and bring prosperity. And I had to go grind it out for a long time. And along the way, I'm just going to ask Trina, will you come up here? (laughs) because I'm going to wrap this up. Pastor Tom, would you come up? Pastor Willie, Miss Addie, will you come up here? I wish Miss Evelyn was here. Me and Trina have been through a lot. And I pray that we are a good I don't play where we're good. I pray where we're a great representation for young blacks all over. You know, we're not celebrities. We're not superstars. Um, and it's been hard work. It's been a lot of hard work. God has done way more than we have, but it's been hard work. And I just, you know, what we're seeing and and what's being preached to the black community, it, it just comes down to choice. It comes down to young it comes down to to, to black leaders i consider myself a leader we have to get into the black communities and we have to hold them accountable you know that's where the difference is going to make we got to challenge young black men to make the right choice i don't know any law in place today in america i don't know any law enforcement governing agency or body that hinders me as a young black man from doing anything that I want to do from reaching any level of success. I want to reach. And I feel like as a young black man, I've been in some of the worst places. I've been down and out in the worst way without a dime in my pocket. And the only thing I had was the power of prayer and my choice to lean on Jesus every day. And he's made the difference in my life. He's allowed me to bring my family a long way. And, um, it's not about race. And I look and I call you guys up here because it's like Pastor Tom said, I see Hispanic, I see black, I see white. I, see, I don't see God and I don't see, and I never noticed, I never noticed the color of people. Steve Lambrose, I just saw God putting people, good people. People who set the example for us to love God with all our soul and might in our lives, to help lead us, to help protect us, to help cover us, and to help move us forward. And we have a responsibility to you guys. I don't just have a responsibility to the black community. I have a responsibility to the people that God has put in my life to show them that the example they set to honor the Lord and love me and love my wife and love my family and support us, I have responsibility to pay it forward. To them, to my generation, to the next generation, I will never teach, I will always want my boys to know, and we do a good job about trying to help our sons to understand their, their history as young black men. But more than anything, we teach our boys that they gotta love God with all their whole, whole soul, heart, and might. That their identities in Christ. Yes. That's 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 the divide in their life. That's the power in their life. You know. And um, I hope when people see me and Trina, that they see. I want them to see a beautiful black couple because that's what we are. Yeah. She's more beautiful. She makes me beautiful. But, But greater than that, I want them to see two people that have submitted their heart and their life to the Lord, who love God, who do their best to honor God in every way, who aren't perfect, but do their best to just honor God in every way. And I want them to see how it blesses us. I want to see how it brings increase because unless this is a lie, this right here tells me that my family doesn't have to worry about racism. My family doesn't have to worry about, I don't care if the laws get worse. This right here tells me that me and my family will be blessed all the days of our life if we commit our heart and honor God no matter what happens. It, it, if I encounter racism, if I encounter bigotry, this tells me no matter what I encounter, God is greater than it all and supersedes everything in my life. In Jesus' name.
0: Wow. Yeah. Just have a seat. We're going to take communion. I think it would be good to really seal the day with communion. Um, the message that uh, Tracy brought is really about responsibility. It's about personal responsibility. And it's not just in the black community. It's everywhere. <laughs> Amen? We would do well to. And so the challenge for today is to, to challenge your own heart, to guard it. Pastor Willie, I'm going to have you bring the communion table over. We're just going to, going to do communion a little different today. Uh, we have the individual wafers in the, in the trays, so uh, we didn't want to have anybody breathing on it and touching the bread and all that. So, so you can be comf- you can be comfortable uh, with communion. Um, yeah, we're going to. I'm going to ask that. Um, Pastor Terry, where's Pastor Terry and Jan, and uh, you got, oh, you got some folks, okay, thank you. They got it. You got people already? We're going to go ahead and hand out the wafers. While they're handing it out, go ahead, Pastor Willie. While they're handing it out, I want to um, share with you something. It was many years ago before we had security. There was a particular white man who was not happy with me, and um, I didn't know he was going to do this, but one Sunday morning, he decided to get in my face right here. And so he gathered some other white men, and they came up and said, I'm going to confront Pastor Tom. And uh, they walked up, and standing to the, I think it was the right of me, was Tracy Isom. And I'm thinking, oh boy, what's here? And I could tell this was not a happy picture, and I turned to Tracy, he goes, I'm not here with them, I'm here with you. I said... I like that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it wasn't violent or anything, but it was a person dressed me down and let me know how they felt and walked out and hasn't been back. Praise God. And so, and I've forgiven them and release them. But I just want you to know that um, we need each other. And this week, would you, would you do me a favor? And before we take communion together, would you really search your own heart? The, the biases, the the way we see other people. So I've asked Pastor Willie to to lead us in communion. Um, What we'll do is next week we're gonna get into what is God doing, I asked the question this morning, God, what are you doing? And then what do you want me to do? I think the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna do a prayer wall this afternoon. Next week we're gonna do a prayer drive, right? But I'd ask that you would search your own heart this week and challenge the way you see and look at people. And then next week, we're gonna delve into, I believe God is setting the stage for the Third Great Awakening. I'm gonna unpack a little bit about the First and Second Great Awakenings that came and transformed the nation. But the Third Great Awakening is on the horizon. When we get on the other side of COVID and all this craziness, what's God gonna do?